Hello, Wolfpack Nation. It's Randy Woodson for another session of Red Chair Chats. This is where we have great conversations with amazing Wolfpackers, people that have one thing in common, and that's that they love this university and love the pack. Today, we're really excited to have B.J. Barham with us, the founder, lead singer, amazing songwriter for the alt country Americana, they defy categorization, American Aquarium. Hey, BJ. Hey, how are you? Thanks I'm for living me. the dream. I'm with you. Yeah, nonsense, nonsense. This is Thanks big, for having me. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Tell me, you know, you've, you've been, uh, you've always been connected to NC State, always been connected to Raleigh, but you've been around the world with this band. Uh, so tell me about your NC State journey. How did you get here? Um, I grew up in a little place called Reedsville, North Carolina. Yeah. It's about an hour and a half uh, west of here, right above Greensboro. And uh, I, uh, I came to Raleigh to attend NC State University. Yeah. Um, I came here in 2002. Uh, I was a, a chass kid. I was yeah. a political science and history major. Um, and when I moved to Raleigh, um, that is when my, my eye shifted to music. I uh, started yeah. playing guitar. Uh, started playing open mics and started playing in some of the bars in Raleigh, uh, and quickly, my uh, my goal of being an attorney uh, slowly shifted yeah. to being a, a, a singer songwriter. Well, and the world's better off for it. I think the world is much better yeah. off yeah. for well, it. I, you know, not nothing against attorneys, <laughs> but I think we have a fair I think we number have a, of them. We have enough of those. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm playing but we can my always part. use more music. For sure, for sure. So you started. I mean, you've you're a phenomenal songwriter and. Everything I've read about the creation of the band and about your start on this journey was really to give you a venue to play the music that you were creating. And, and you know, so often people get into music by playing other people's material, but you've been a songwriter from the beginning. Yeah, the reason I started a band was to kind of give this life to the songs that I was creating. It's just me and an acoustic guitar. I write all the songs, these skeletal folk ruminations and then the band turns them into something much bigger. Uh, and so I was really lucky while I was at NC State to meet the band that originally started as the, the first version of this band was, was just friends of mine from college. Yeah. Um, I, we, we lovingly refer to them as owner-operators, the guys yeah. that moved to Raleigh and had a bass or, or had a drum set. And uh, we started playing shows uh, at the brewery on Hillsborough Street, yeah. RIP. I think it's a CVS or a something, a Walgreens at this point. but. It used to be like the one place that would book a lot of local bands. Uh, and growing up in Reedsville, there were two kinds of musicians. There were big top 40 stuff you hear on the radio, and there was people who played at like your family reunion, yeah. like just fun. I never knew there was a, an in-between. And when I moved to Raleigh, I realized there was this thing, independent music. People that weren't signed to a label, weren't getting played on the radio, but they were making a living playing music. Yeah. And I, I, it took me hook, line, and sinker. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been fascinated in, in learning about and listening to your music is how much you've always involved the fans in the launch of a new project. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, almost all of your studio uh, albums have started with Kickstarter campaigns and been funded by your fans. For sure. Um, we have always been a heavy touring band. We, kn we knew we weren't going to get uh, radio famous. So when we started this band, it was, it was very much how are we going to 
fund this, you know? And so we realized that the way to success was one, playing as many shows as we could. So very early on, starting in 2006, we started touring about 300 shows a year. Wow. Which is not- Turns any- out there's only 365 <laughs> days in a year. Exactly. So we broke every relationship apart that we had back home. We just ruined everything. And we lived on the road for almost a decade. Wow. Uh, but after a decade of playing 300 shows a year all across the world, you realize that you've picked up a lot of fans along the way. And I'd say half of them at some point in our career uttered the words, man, I wish there was something else I could do to help you out than buying just one T-shirt or buying a, a ticket to your show. And so we finally turned it over to them and said, you want to help us out? Buy every one of our records nine months in advance before it ever comes out yeah. and help us make this thing. And so by them doing that, we've never had to sign to a record label. We've never had to give away any of our creative process. We're one of the few bands that I know of 15 years into their career that own 100% of their material. I own every single thing I've ever recorded and nobody gets to touch it. Wow. Which is... That's, a lot of artists can't say that. There's not a lot of artists that can say that. Like you're, the, the, the folks on the radio, your big artist, they have so many hands in the cookie jar at the end of the day that they have to make their living touring. They get nothing off the recorded side. And so I'm very, very fortunate that after 15 years to look up, yeah. and not only do I get to tour and make a living, I also get to make a living off yeah. the art that I created. Well, Pack, that's thinking, dude. That's amazing. <laughs> let's talk. Let's get back to the Pack for a second. Yes, sir. You know, I, I've seen you down on the sideline. I'm, I'm guessing that you're more than a casual fan of the Pack. That is a solid guess. Is it a solid? That's guess? a solid guess. All right. Uh, I am. I am a fanatic. I am. Oh my. I, I am a true uh, fan of the Pack. Uh, it started going to school here. Um, you know, dance with the one that brought you. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in North Carolina, uh, when you're a kid in elementary school, you tend to pull for one of the blue teams because they won a lot. Uh, yeah. It was hard being a Pack fan in elementary school. But once I, I started attending NC State, um, it was there was no looking back. This was my team, yeah. win or lose. Um, I was a Pack fan, and so I've I've kind of carried that over into my adult life. Um, I'm at every if I'm home, I'm at a game. State has been. Um, I've taken that into my, my music as well. You know, I've written songs about Raleigh. I've written songs about the Wolfpack. Um, I've made a couple obscure NC State references in songs that, that Pack alumni tend to get. But it's, it's been a fun to watch my fan base um, associate NC State with me because I'm the only link to that. Yeah. Like, there's not many people in Nebraska or Wisconsin or Texas that Well, care. there are a few in Nebraska <laughs> now. <laughs> For sure there are. For sure there are. But uh, there's a lot of those folks that, you know, didn't really pay attention to yeah. NC State football or NC State basketball or baseball or wrestling. And uh, because of me and because of them following us on Twitter, yeah. they've had to keep a side eye on what NC State did this week. Absolutely. And it's always nice when fans come to the merch table when they're wearing, you know, a Wisconsin hat or a University of Washington hat or a, a Longhorns hat. And instead of talking about their alma mater, they're talking to me about NC State. Like, did you see what NC State did last week? I'm like, let's let's chat it up. BJ, talk about what you're most excited about now in your music. I know uh, your your last album. Um, you know, it's not every artist that can give Old Testament references in yeah. their music, but uh, limitation, uh, lamenting on. Uh, you know, the, the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah. And it, well, I, and I saw a lot. So, so, so I wrote the new record, Lamentations, is, is really about, you know, it's, it's kind of the biblical sense and it's kind of the, the Webster sense. I wrote a record based around, um, I'm, I was 
raised in the Southern Baptist Church. My dad was of a course de- you were. My dad was a deacon. I grew up singing in the church. Um, I think I think that anybody uh, worth their weight in songwriting had to grow up uh, with that religious tension yeah. um, pulling at them. Um, but the, the the Book of Lamentations always struck me as this kind of wild thing because it's Jeremiah standing back and watching the fall of Jerusalem, um, watching Babylon take over Jerusalem and, uh, and, and questioning God, asking like, where are you now? Like we've given you everything. Like, why are you letting this happen to our country? Why is it so divided right now? And I saw a lot of correlations between that and 2019 America. So I started writing songs in that vein. And then I realized if I, if I wrote 10 songs like that, it would be a very uh, polarizing record. So then I went to Webster's, which the, the word lamentation just means an extreme expression of sorrow or grief. And I was like, I can definitely write 10 songs that touch on that. So I wrote from, basically the theme of the record went from just this Old Testament um, kind of ideology to the things that test us as human beings, yeah. the things that break us as human beings. So there's, there's watching your country become divided. There's a loss of a child. There's a dissolution of a marriage. There's financial ruin. There's addiction. There's recovery. It really touched on a lot of these kind of cornerstones of the human experience. And so that's why I'm so proud of that record, because it encompassed so much of what we all have to go through. It wasn't just a record about me and my travels and my journey. It was a record that I think a lot of people could tap into and find a piece of themselves in. Yeah, I I definitely agree. It's a a phenomenal piece of art. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about... Uh, some of the things that you, you just mentioned, particularly addiction and recovery. You know, we, I lead a big university, a university you love, and one of the things we spend so much time on trying to help young people is deal with health and wellness and take care of themselves. And, and you've been very public about sobriety and about you know, some of your challenges and, and what it means to you now. Talk a little bit about that in the context of everything we're all trying to do to to get through this pandemic, to take care of one another and just reflect a bit on that. Yeah, I, I had I just celebrated my seventh year of sobriety. August 31st uh, was my seventh year of sobriety. Um, I don't think you can tell an 18-year-old kid about the pitfalls of addiction, about, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you have to experience for yourself. Nobody could have told me when I was at NC State, when I was yeah. 18 and wide-eyed and thinking I knew everything about the world, I wasn't going to listen to some, you know, middle-aged guy tell me about the... the I'm advanced (laughs) in age, by the way, but I get it. I wasn't going to let someone tell me about sobriety. Um, You have to, in my my experience, you you have to go through the loss. You have to go through the pitfalls. You have to watch how bad it can be to even try to imagine how good it could be. Yeah. And for me, it didn't take long. It took about a month of sobriety. I started feeling better. I started sounding better as a singer, as a performer. Um, my relationships began to heal after two, three, six months, a year. I started becoming a better person. I started becoming reliable. I started becoming someone that people wanted to be around. Um, and then once I got married, I don't think it's a, a coincidence that I got sober and then everything changed for me. My career took off. I got married. I started a family. Yeah. Um, I became successful in my career. I wasn't just some singer-songwriter trying to make it. I was a local singer-songwriter that had made it. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that's a coincidence that it happened. It directly coincided with my sobriety. Right. Um, so I, I tell kids, I'm like, I am a living proof that you can still be a rock and roller. You can still travel the world and have fun and not rely on something else to be the yeah. fun, to be the catalyst for the fun. You yeah. can be the catalyst for the fun. So one of the things that I've 
Uh, I've noticed about a lot of prominent artists during the pandemic when tours were shut down, uh, you know, they really reverted back to uh, really thinking deeply about their music, uh, writing great material, and, and that's been true for you, I know. But one of the things I've, I noticed is that you've recorded a, a, a cover album. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, <laughs> I love the cover on the album. Oh, thank you. Uh, vintage, uh, I don't know if I can say this, Levi Strauss. Uh, but it's a, it's a, if you look carefully, I think you'll see a couple of beautiful wolves yeah, we, pulling apart. We replaced, uh, on the cover of that record, we replaced um, some of the horses with wolves and yeah. kind of made that label our own. Uh, we changed it just in, just enough to where I don't think Levi can sue us. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, which is a which is a good thing. It's always I think it's twenty percent you got to change, and then it's a, a completely new thing. Um, but yeah, we we decided uh, in the middle of the pandemic we couldn't do anything else, so we decided to record uh, this record of songs that influenced us as kids. And as cool, every every kid wants to like pretend that they were influenced by Fugazi and Towns Van Zant growing up, but they weren't. If you grew if you grew up in the mid '80s like me. You were influenced yeah. by radio country, yeah. uh, FM 90s country. And so we got together and recorded some of our favorite 90s country songs, kind of a tip of the hat uh, to pay homage to the stuff that gave us our musical foundation. Yeah. Um, and uh, it took, uh, we had zero idea if the fans were going to enjoy it. We made it for us. Yeah. We made it to give us something to look forward to, something to do and keep our hands occupied. Uh, and as soon as we put it out, we realized that we weren't the only people that had that experience with yeah. 90s country. There was yeah. a lot of people that it really resonated with. And so I want to say we pressed up a couple thousand vinyl copies of the record and they sold out in less than 24 hours. Wow. And we were like, oh, we we severely underestimated yeah. the want, the demand here. And so it's been a lot of fun, especially on tour this summer. We've been throwing one or two of those songs in the yeah, set yeah. every night. And just to watch the crowd spark up and come alive. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I noticed you referred to it as volume one. Yeah. So who knows? There is a volume two. Um, I, 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 I won't be leaking too much information here, but I've promised people that before the end of 2021, volume two comes out. Wow, I'm great. not giving dates, but it's already recorded. It's done. Um, but the thing I think I'm most excited about is November 1st, we go back in the studio to record our next studio record. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting away from the cover stuff, like you said, focusing back on the songs the serious songs yeah, yeah. that we wrote during the pandemic. And uh, we're doing that out in El Paso, Texas. Yeah. And so uh, another North Carolina reference, the name of the record is Chickamacomico. Yeah, say that a hundred times. Yeah, fast. trust me, I had to, to yeah. learn how to say it properly. Um, Chickamacomico is what the northern tip of Hatteras Island used to be called back before it was Rodanthe and Waves, and, right. uh, before the United States Postal Service moved in and yeah. changed it all. But uh, I, I wrote this record, me and my wife uh, went out there for about a month February of last year, um, I guess February of this year, February 2021, um, and kind of holed up on the beach. I don't know if anybody's ever been to the Outer Banks in February. It's empty. It's desolate. Yeah. There's nobody there. So it was, it was really fun to walk up and down the beach every day for miles and not see a single person. It was a, a really kind of desolate place to write this kind of record about loneliness and solitude and, and loss, which is what I equate 2020 to. Um, and so I'm really excited for folks to hear that. That'll be out in the summer of 2022, but we get to record it in November. Well, BJ, I, uh, I have a, a weakness for guitars. Yeah. And, um, same. <laughs> and I have a, actually my wife thinks it's a problem, but I hide them. They're in different rooms. So Good. You can't, don't keep them all together or they start counting. Yeah. 
Uh, but you've got a guitar that I bet a lot of people, particularly in Wolfpack Nation, lust over, and that's a, a red uh, J45 Gibson. Yeah. Uh, that you know, those you can't find those. I mean, they they didn't make a lot of them. Yeah, they Was made mid 60s. Is 68. That? Okay. 68 uh, is the only year they made them. Uh, and the only way you could get one was ordering it from the catalog. So oh. they didn't sell them in stores. You had to order them straight from Gibson, which brings the yeah. quantity down quite a bit. Um, but it's a, it's a red 1968 J45 with the white binding. Uh, I always told myself if I ever found a Wolfpack guitar, like a, a quality Gibson yeah. Wolfpack guitar, I was going to buy it. And I found it in Houston, Texas, okay. uh, and immediately bought it. Um, put it on three credit cards. Well, <laughs> man's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah, yeah, and this is back before, you know, I knew how I was going to pay those credit cards yeah. off. Uh, yeah, this yeah. was this was taking a shot and being like, I'm never going to find this guitar again. Uh, and I've only seen one or two um, since I bought it. Um, I've never seen one. Yeah, until they're they're extremely rare. Yeah. Um, and it's it's become synonymous with me as a musician. Um, when people see that red guitar, they know what band's playing. Yeah. Um, just because of how rare the guitar is. And so, but it's always fun when I play in Raleigh because people know that it's not just a coincidence that I have a red and white guitar, yeah, yeah. you know, especially a, you know, a mid sixties Gibson. <laughs> yeah. Well, how often do you get back to campus? Um, I come to campus once I a mean, week. I know for football. You're for right. once a week, I come to campus. My daughter yeah. is a huge fan of the bell tower. Oh. It's like her favorite thing ever. You know, Elmo takes a back seat when it comes to the bell tower. Yeah. So we come once a week and we have lunch at the bell tower. Um, and my, my kid goes crazy. She's three. Um, it's she, the, she's only been in trouble once at her preschool and we got called in for like a parent conference uh -oh. and we thought it was gonna be something terrible and we we're like what's she doing it's like well she keeps yelling go wolfpack and she won't stop doing it and the teacher's a carolina fan so she's yeah, obviously like upset about it <laughs> and my wife was like well, we'll take care of it. i was like no we won't i was like i am proud no, of no. my kid but she apparently was leading the rest of the class in a go wolfpack chant yeah and it just it warms my soul knowing that because my wife's like, why are you like submitting her to this at such an early age? I'm like, she chose it. Yeah. So she wear, she's got all of her NC State stuff. Uh, she's got a little pewter bell tower right beside of her bed. Uh, she's she's growing up as part well, of the pack. And she's already exhibiting tremendous leadership. Uh, extremely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's what I thought. The, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you after coming out of that parent-teacher conference, it was like, well, this is wonderful. I was glowing. Yeah. I was literally glowing. Uh, but it, but it's fun. Uh, so we bring her to campus. Um, she's met Mr. and Mrs. Wolf. We bring her to Tally, and we take her to see yeah. Reynolds. And yeah, yeah. she's learning her way. She's going to be one of those kids that, you know, by teenage years, when she comes to state, which she inevitably will, um, well, she'll, she'll be the kid that already knows where everything is. Yeah, we're saving a spot. Yeah, yeah good, the, good. I'll, I'll let her know. Because my wife was like, the, the first thing I need you to do is secure her spot. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. so what is that, 15 years from now, admissions, we're looking yeah. at you. yeah. Yeah, well, keep the pressure on. Keep the pressure on. All right, so uh, talk about Coach Dorn. I know you all have a, a great relationship. Uh, you're down on the sidelines a lot. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's not, he's not NC State, but, boy, is he NC State. He's NC State. You know, you know nine years in, um, I think you earn your spot. Yeah. You know, uh, it, that's the longest coach we've had tenure yeah. here since I've I, – I came here in 02, so – he is definitely the coach. Yeah. You know, he's all been here almost half my time. Um, Doran, um, he has impeccable musical taste. Yeah, um, that's you true. You know, it's really, um, that's the thing that we bonded over was uh, 
he listens to a lot of the music that we love, uh, and so we see him at shows. We see him. We've seen him at a few music festivals. Um, you need to help him with his guitar skills. Huh? No, he's, he, he's got the open chords. He can, he, yeah, all right. he, he can hold his own. He can hold his own. All right. But uh, he's been really great. Um, the coaching staff has always been really great to me, um, you know, letting me come and, and, and really be a part of that experience. Because as a student, I would have I would have done a lot for to be able to be that close to the players. And it's, it's been really nice to, to get to know some of the players and get to know most of the coaching staff and, yeah. and just be able to be that close to the action. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's something I do not take for granted. Yeah. Any Saturday I'm, I'm able to stand down there. It's, it's a real honor. And, and coach Doran's been great. Um, really supportive of the band online and Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. But, uh, he's, uh, he's doing a bang up job. Talk a little bit about who are, who you said earlier, coach Doran had impeccable music taste. <laughs> Where's your music taste go? Who are the stars or the, the musicians, stars isn't the right word, but the, you know, the artists, the musicians, the people that that you admire, that you listen to, that you would love to record with or have recorded with? Um, like I said earlier, my, my musical taste was very limited. My scope was extremely limited growing up in Reedsville. We didn't have record stores. We yeah. didn't have, you know, it was what was on the radio and what you bought at Walmart. That yeah. was your musical taste. Yeah. Uh, so moving to Raleigh, uh, the first job I got when I moved to Raleigh was at the record exchange on Hillsborough Street. Uh, I worked there for five years and walked into work every day and I got to listen to music. I got to just jump into whatever was standing on the aisles. You yeah. know, I get to, you get to open everything up and listen to it. And so I fell in love with a lot of like the really big generational songwriters. So Springsteen, Tom Petty, Neil Young, yeah. Dylan, Paul Simon, um, kind of these really huge voices by themselves, but then they had these amazing backing band, yeah. especially Petty and Springsteen. That was who I wanted to model my stuff after. I wanted the songs to be great just on an acoustic guitar, but I wanted all the muscle to come from a really yeah. big rock and roll band. Um, and so that's kind of the classical influence, the contemporary influence, the drive-by truckers, uh, Lucero, uh, Whiskey Town. Um, those are yeah. some bands that kind of more of like a punk rock edge to country music, which I, I totally resonated with. Um, and they weren't famous. Yeah. It was bands that I could go see at the Cat's Cradle, bands I could go see uh, at the Lincoln Theater, and there'd only be 200 people there, but songs that made me want to write better songs, songs that here, seeing those guys in Raleigh and Chapel Hill let me know that I didn't have to be the prettiest guy in the room. I didn't have to have the best voice. I just had to write good songs and had to tour. Yeah. And it really set up the blueprint for what I was doing, was going and seeing all of those shows in the Triangle, freshman year, sophomore year in college. Yeah. I was probably going to five or six shows a week just I fell in love with music and and so I, I tended to skew more on the indie rock side of stuff uh, WKNC 88.1 uh it was always on in the car well you know I was a guest DJ you were oh last week yeah. I, see I've never had the honor oh, I, I've huge. been interviewed a few times but I've never been the DJ oh it was huge ah, I had a I'm jealous uh, a Muscle Shoals history lesson I've recorded a record in Muscle Shoals I know Alabama, you and that is for those watching, Muscle Shoals is one of the, the magical places of the world. Yeah. So you had a whole hour? I had a whole hour, and I started back with Percy Sledge, moved over. Oh, it was a big time. Oh. It was a big time. Oh, you're yeah. speaking my language now. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is great. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we were talking earlier about an amazing run for our baseball team and, and how tragically it, it ended. But um, I was in... I was at Arkansas when we won that series, and 
you mentioned you were playing a show in Arkansas after we had won the series. Uh, you know, that Arkansas is, is a big, my home state, uh, you have a big fan base there. Yeah. And in fact, when I was coming to NC State in 2010, my sister wrote me and said, well, you know, American Aquarius is from Raleigh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, and so you you do have a big fan base. Yeah. It's yeah. a, Fayetteville is a great spot for us. We played in Fayetteville the day after we won that series. Yeah. So it was still very much an open wound. And, and I just danced around and poured salt in it, yeah. um, which is, you Just know. a nod to George's <laughs> Majestic Lounge. For all the Razorback fans out there, if there are any. Uh, <laughs> George is our home in Fayetteville. We love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been great to catch up with you. Heck yeah. And Thanks for having we're me. We're proud of, of what you do. We're proud of how you represent NC State and excited for your future as you, you're producing some amazing music. Thank now. you so much. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll always rep the pack uh, yeah. in everything I do. I and, have no uh, doubt. And, and it, it's always nice to to be included in stuff like this because the university holds such a special place in my life. And so anything I can do to, to help give back yeah. to it is, is, is great. All right. Go back. <laughs>